Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 24th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Timonini. I'm actually coming to you a little bit later than we actually recorded the rest of this episode. Grace and I recorded earlier on Sunday, but at 6.30 p.m., while Grace, I believe, was still at the final preview for The Cottage, we got news that New York, New York will close up shop this coming Sunday, July 30th, which... It really wasn't a surprise to me necessarily that the show would close fairly soon. What was a surprise to me is that it would close that quickly, that they would not give it more time. Even if it would have closed on July 30th, I thought they would have given it a month of announcement to kind of get as many people in and to try to capitalize on the last few weeks of performances. But nonetheless, the show will close on Sunday following the 3 p.m. performance. That means it will have played 143 performances on Broadway 33 previews and 110 regular performances. This is a show that we talked about. I liked everything about the show except for the show itself. And I really feel like out-of-town tryouts work. You know, doing shows in front of audiences to see what works and what doesn't really goes a long way. I think they really should have had it. I think it would have really behooved them to cut some of the extraneous plot threads that didn't necessarily do anything at all and to really focus on what was the most important parts of that story, whatever they determined those to be. Obviously, the stagecraft of the show, the choreography, the designs were all tremendous and I thought that that stuff all really, really worked. It just deserved a better show. The thing that does interest me is the fact that they are going to be closing in just a week. Generally, when we see a show close over the summer with an announcement that quick, it's coming after the Tonys. It didn't do very well. They were trying to stick around through the Tony Awards. This is not the case. This is coming almost two months, a month and a half after the Tony Awards. So to only get one week notice is surprising to me. What that essentially says to me, I guess it could be a contractual thing where there's a clause that if it makes it to August, that Jujam Center ambassador, whoever's in charge over there now at the St. James, has to pay more money or whatever, or doesn't get as much money out of it. I, I don't I don't know. But to me, what really makes the most sense is that there's another show that wants to announce they're going into the St. James and they want to do it fairly quickly. And it would be really difficult for them to do that when New York, New York was still there. So I would imagine that we will get an announcement about something going into St. James. Not necessarily this week. I think they will probably wait until a week or so after the show closes on the 30th. But I would venture a guess that we will find out what will be playing in that hallowed hall fairly quickly by the middle and at the latest, the end of August. But I would think with an announcement coming this quickly, it will almost certainly be sooner rather than later. All right, I'm going to send you over to the rest of Today on Broadway, where Grace Aki and I discuss a whole host of things, including Barbenheimer. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 24th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on the Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, we are, this is the last week of July, and it is crazy to me that we are already getting into, even though like the beginning of August isn't technically fall. In fact, none of August is technically fall. But like August for me in the Midwest, growing up in the Midwest, like that's fall. Like that's when it's back to school season. I cannot believe we are here already or, you know, on the heels of being here already. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, not having fun, busy, whatever. But um, it's going to be a busy couple days for you, I know. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But how are you feeling heading into the August and the back half of, of 2023. Oh, I'm tired, Matt. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm excited. What's what's kind of bizarre is that 
as a, like a Broadway community, we aren't having the downtime that we used to have. Yes. Like we aren't having like the summer, like rest, you know, rinse, repeat, and then going into the fall to open new shows. I mean, I'm attending the cottage after we, you know, uh, wrap this recording. Um, they'll open this week. And then I jump into the shark is broken previews uh, starting on Tuesday. Like there's so many things happening and it's there's no slowing down. So I just think that we're in a new wave of uh, like Broadway, especially opening industry. And I'm very curious what this means to everything else on the street, like as a, 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 in a you know, on an economic level um, and, you know, tourism and all that stuff. Like, I think it's really fascinating. And I don't know the other times when this has been the case. So, yeah, I'm just... I'm curious, like, are we going to have a little bit of like a, a slope down and like the fall? Maybe I don't think so. Um, are there going to be like new theater turnovers? Not sure. You know, who's trying to quote, like make it to Labor Day. I keep hearing that on the street and it's just kind of like a wild statement. But yeah, so it's just I don't know. <laughs> let me let me ask you this question. Is th this is a change that I understand is is exhausting for all y'all that actually work in putting these shows up. But this is something that I have, you know, been championing here in one way or another for many, many years is that when theaters are are vacant, fill them. A lot of theaters would sit open, you know, after a show closed around the Tonys and then wouldn't have another show come in uh, until Labor Day or in the fall. So, like, I love the fact that we are having new things come in throughout the year. Do you think that this is Coming out of the pandemic, there was so many shows that were like ramped up, ready to come to Broadway. Do you think that it's now theater owners and producers trying to take advantage of, of market ineffectualities by putting shows and trying to make some money when theaters are otherwise empty? Or is it a little bit of both? What do you think is leading to having, you know, four, five, six shows opening up during the summer that normally would have tried to wait to the traditional fall or spring season? I think everybody's really hungry to get their theaters. It's just it's just so apparent that like because of the pandemic, so many things were stalled. And then now there's kind of like this ripple effect of just people being hungry, saying, OK, how how much money do we have if blank closes that we can just run into that theater? And that's why you're getting all of these surprise people being like, oh, I didn't know that this was coming or I hadn't heard of that. It's because like there's there's a lot of shows probably that are on lists. Um, within each like, you know, theater owners organization of, okay, well, they get next dibs or they've got the funding. Oh, these people we thought, you know, had had the money behind it. Guess what? This person came in with a better offer. They're doing it. You know, it's all it's all, I think, a, a money thing. But I think everyone's just trying to get in. I don't think that there's the same consideration for like if we if we move closer into the spring, like, will there be better Tony Awards consideration? Look, Kimberly Akimbo moved in. Um, at the latter half of the, you know, the the previous year, and then they they won big, right? So I don't think it's the same thing of oh, it has to be March or April, or you're kind of screwed out of awards consideration. I I think it's more complicated than that. Yeah, I think there are certainly shows that have those big prizes in mind that will make those considerations. But I think you're right, shows like. Gray House and Back to the yeah. Future that are like, you know what, either we're, we're going to, yeah, they were ready to go Back to the Future. I think I'm sure would love to be in the uh, best musical race, but like they realize that their brand is big enough to sustain them through the spring. So uh, I think this is very fascinating. Okay. We haven't gotten into the news yet, but I will note that conversations like this are the conversations that we want to have moving forward more often on Broadway radio. So if this is something that you like to hear, head over.
over to our show notes where we have a survey about the types of things that you want to hear more of, things that you want to hear less of, maybe some ideas about things that you would be interested in hearing at all on our platform. Also, some questions about Patreon and all of that stuff. Uh, we'll probably run that through the end of this week, maybe give a cutoff of, of July 31st, but we'll be making changes to some things moving forward. So if you like these types of in the weeds, business behind the scenes conversations, do let us know there. All right, Grace, we are going to start the show off with unfortunately talking about two deaths that we've had in and around the theater community in the past few days. Neither of these are things that are breaking. So these are things that you probably know quite a bit about at this point, starting first with the fact that the legendary iconic voice of many generations, Tony Bennett, passed away on Friday at the age of 96. He had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2016. And you know, honestly, continued to perform despite his diagnosis. And we saw him do that quite regularly with Lady Gaga uh, and something that was really kind of heartwarming to see that friendship and his love of music kind of transcend his illness, that even though he was having trouble with a lot of other mental cognition things, he was still able to sing. And the lyrics that he sang were um, were so innate into his his brain that he was able to to recall those. I think everybody kind of knows Tony Bennett at this point, so I won't necessarily go into all of his career achievements, other to say that he really was somebody who tried to focus on the standards and in some cases show tunes that were a far more important part of the American popular culture uh, when he started his career than when he ended it doing so much uh, to record Cole Porter, the Gershwins, Rogers and Hammerstein, and more. He had 150 total recordings throughout his life. He won 20 Grammy Awards. He got a Lifetime Achievement Grammy Award. He has two Primetime Emmy Awards. He was a Kennedy Center honoree, Hollywood Walk of Fame, all of those things. Worked with so many iconic stars, starting with like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, going on to like Amy Winehouse and of course Lady Gaga as well. Uh, he has been on Broadway, had been on Broadway twice with two concert performances, once in 1974, along with Lena Horne, Tony and Lena sing. And then in 1993 for a concert, Tony Bennett stepping out on Broadway. Obviously, Grace, not necessarily a theater person necessarily, but somebody who did as much as just about anyone else in popular music to bring show tunes and American standards to wider audiences. So whether or not you are somebody who knew Tony Bennett from his early days or more recently from his collaborations with more modern audiences, certainly somebody who I think a lot of theater fans hold in very high regard. All right. The next passing is someone that actually died earlier at the end of the previous week, but it was just announced last week. It is Tony winning star Carlin Glenn, who actually only appeared on Broadway twice, but in the same role, doing the role of Miss Mona in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas in the original production and then in its revival. She is somebody who a lot of people will know primarily from film, having worked quite often with her husband, Peter Masterson. She played the uh, the role of Molly Ringwald's mother in 16 Candles. She was also in the film version, 1985 film version of The Trip to Bountiful, did many, many other films throughout her career. She was a lifelong member of the Actors Theater, which is where she met her husband. Her daughter, Mary Stuart Masterson, also a Broadway uh, and stage star uh, of her own. Oh, love her. Yeah, she's great. She had fought lung cancer and dementia and passed away at the 83 at the age of 83. Yeah, like I saw a lot of people showing her like Tony's clip and everything. It was just it's really lovely and, and just such a loss. 
All right, let's get into some news that you kind of mentioned earlier, Grace. We do have two fairly big things happening on Broadway this week. Starting on Monday night, we have the opening of the new comedy, The Cottage. It was written by Sandy Rustin, directed by Jason Alexander, and has just a incredible cast. Uh, Laura Bell Bundy, Lily Cooper, Eric McCormack, Nahal Joshi, Alex Moffat in his Broadway debut, and Dana Steingold. Everyone that I know who has seen this, and I know you're seeing it, as you mentioned, after we record, just talks about how much fun it is and how it's got a lot of uh, DNA with some of the really fun farces that we've had on Broadway recently. And I think we need that. I think those, as we're talking about what shows are choosing to come in in the summer, I think it's things like this who are coming from a playwright who's never been on Broadway, but also is are fun and frothy. And I don't think super long. I don't know what the running time of the cottage is, but you know, they, they aren't necessarily these big, heavy awards bait. All right. If you're not going to be in the conversation for best play, or at least that's not like your end, end all be all goal. Like this seems like the perfect thing to come in during the summer with some fun names uh, involved. And I'm really, really excited to hopefully see this when I'm in town next month, because this seems like the perfect type of thing to spend an hour and a half, two hours in an air conditioned theater watching Grace. There is an intermission at the invited dress, but it's only two hours and five minutes. It's a perfect comedy for for like the timing of that. And I can't wait to, to talk about it. Yeah. On Monday, I will do a review recap episode. That'll be separate in Patreon, patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. It'll also be on the front end of the Tuesday episode of Today on Broadway in the regular feed. So break legs to everybody involved with the cottage. And I can't wait to see it. It seems absolutely delightful. Then, Grace, on Tuesday... I don't know if you're ready or not, because I know from our conversations how many things are uh, being done still to this point. Uh, but The Shark is Broken begins performances at the John Golden Theater on Tuesday, the 25th. It is directed by Guy Masterson, written by Ian Shaw and Joseph Nixon. Adam Cork provides original music. Ian Shaw also is one of the stars of the show, playing his father, Robert Shaw, who is one of the original stars of the film Jaws, this new play, which originated in London, kind of takes you behind the scenes of that filming. Colin Donald plays Roy Scheider. Alex Brightman plays Richard Dreyfuss. And this is one that you've been working on quite a bit. And all of the behind the scenes stuff that you and your team over at AKA have put together has been absolutely incredible. Like, and I'll be honest with you, like Jaws isn't like a thing for me, like I've seen it. It's good. But the angle of this show and all of the things that you all have revealed about what this play is actually about, it's about, you know, people dealing with the interactions behind the scenes of a film, but also people dealing with uh, a lot of other issues that I don't want to necessarily get into because of all of the, uh, the marketing stuff. I don't want to spoil for anybody, but it just seems like a really, really compelling play with three really, really talented performers. It is. <laughs> I know you can't say much because you work on I know, it. I know. I'm just like the end. But I think what's what's really lovely, I will say, um, whenever you're listening to this, uh, previews start on Tuesday, the 25th. However, if you don't have a ticket to that first preview performance, even though I'd love for you to, um, you can RSVP. I'll send I'll send Matt the link to uh, include this in the show notes. We're hosting a live screening for free of Jaws at the Seaport in New York City oh, cool. um, at Pier 17, and I will be there. 
I am really excited. Ashley Hufford, who, if you listen to our uh, theater camp discussion, Mm -hmm. she will be there with me. Um, It's going to be a lovely time. So if you're like, hey, I need to update myself about Jaws before I go see this uh, show, absolutely do that. I also know people that watch this in Edinburgh and everything else that had never seen Jaws and don't intend on watching Jaws and loved it anyways. Mm -hmm. So at least you can say that it's not integral for you to have seen Jaws. But if you would like to refresh yourself, we will be watching it outside. (laughs) Also, I will note that Jaws is available to stream on Peacock. If you have a subscription to Peacock, it's also available to rent or buy anywhere, you know, Prime Video, Apple TV, iTunes, all of those places. You can watch it if you want to see it before you see the movie, which I I hadn't thought about. But I will definitely do that now that I, uh, you know, realize I should watch Jaws before I go see it. So very cool. Thank you for that. All right, let's do some real quick news here. On, I think, Thursday, the 92nd Street Y announced its upcoming season of theater and theatrically related concerts, including its new lyrics and lyricist season. I'm just going to run through it very, very quickly. Starting on October 28th, October 28th, 29th, and 30th, it will be Tale as Old as Time, the songs of Howard Ashman. Then in December, December 2nd through the 4th, In the Key of Life, The Genius of Stevie Wonder with artistic director Darius DeHaas. Then in March of 2024, the the 2nd through the 4th, Soul Picnic, The Songs and Legacies of Laura Nyro with artistic director Judy Kuhn. Then there'll be a number of concerts as well throughout the year. An evening with Jason Robert Brown on May 9th, Wonder of Wonder. Is celebrating Sheldon Harnick, which is actually part of Lyrics and Lyricists as well. Ted Sperling will be the artistic director from June 1st through June 3rd. Then the 150th anniversary event of the 92nd Street Y, an evening with Audra McDonald, will happen on October 12th and 13th. Joshua Henry's Get Up Stand Up will happen on November 18th, and then an evening with Stephanie J. Block on February 2nd. If you want more information of, on all of those concerts, check it out in the show notes. Then last week as well, New 42 and the New York City Housing Authority announced a new partnership that actually started last fall in which families living in New York City Housing Authority housing can receive up to four free tickets per family to shows of their choice at the new Victory Theater each season. The program, which, like I said, launched last fall, has already provided more than 1,000 free tickets to over 200 families living in housing authority developments across all five boroughs. So that is very cool. We love to see things like that. Um, And then, Grace, I wanted to mention this. This is not theater related, but it is kind of theater related. So on Saturday, I did what's being termed as Barbenheimer. So I went and saw both Barbie and Oppenheimer at the AMC theater at Disney Springs down here in Orlando back to back. Literally, uh, there was like maybe 15 minutes in between the two of them. I don't know that I would do Barbie first. I might've done Oppenheimer first, but I just did it based off of the, uh, the times that were available. Grace, before I get into what I thought, I want you to guess what I thought about both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Just based off what you know me. Yeah, knowing your proclivities, Matt, I, I feel very strongly that you enjoyed Barbie. Um, I feel like that was that was the one. But also you could throw me a curveball. So I don't know. Well, I saw Barbie first and I absolutely loved it. It was great. Um, it yeah. was exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> it was fun. I laughed. I cried. America Ferreira is in it, who is one of my favorite. I adore America Ferreira. And she's just great. Like she just makes everything better. But also Margot Robbie is fantastic. So is Ryan Gosling. The whole cast is there are so many great people in that cast. So highly, highly recommend that. Oppenheimer was a little less my speed. I'm not a film bro kind of guy. So I enjoyed that one. I thought it was 
unnecessarily complex. It was uh, uh, quite a bit too long. But again, the performances were great. Killian Murphy is fantastic as J. Robert Oppenheimer. I thought Emily Blunt kind of stole the show in a in a supporting role. Like Barbie, tons of really famous people in it. So I don't want to necessarily spoil that because there are some that like I didn't even know that were in it, even though I, I've been covering these films for quite a while. So I enjoyed those. If I'm recommending it, I would go Oppenheimer first and then go to Barbie. One, because of how long Oppenheimer is. Like Once you get through that, it's just kind of like fun afterwards. But I feel like on the back end, it can be a little bit of a slog if you've already been sitting in the theater for two hours. Uh, Barbie is almost exactly... With credits, two hours, but really hour 45 uh, in running time. And Oppenheimer is is billed at three hours. Again, more like 245 before uh, credits and stuff. So factor I, in. I disagree. I disagree, Matt. Really? Okay. I got to say, I doing Barbie first and like starting the day off happy and, and joyful and pink <laughs> and then having a little bit of a break and then going into Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer made me so upset that I could not have recovered to go see Barbie afterwards. So that's just my recommendation. Um, okay. <laughs> if you feel things too much, maybe don't do that. Well, how much of a break? Did you see them back to back as well? Yeah. Yeah. How long of a break did you have? About two and a half hours, enough time to, to talk extensively with friends about the movie and then yes. to go back to the same theater. Okay. See, I had like 15 minute break. So maybe that changes. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> yeah. Like I went, I got a refill of popcorn and got another water and I went straight in. So maybe that is a difference depending on how much of a break. If you're going back to back, maybe it would make more sense to do the longer one first. But if you have a, a chance to talk about them, because to me, I want to talk more about Barbie than I want to talk about Oppenheimer. Um, so maybe that's uh, just kind of a different perspective. But I love that. So I, I didn't realize you had done both of them already. What did you what were your thoughts then um, since uh, since you did see them as well? I, I love when a movie um, does what I think all summer movies, honestly, starting with Jaws plug um, that, you know, bring us all together to kind of talk about and to enjoy and to just like leave the theater going like I could go back or I could not. And I feel like I spent my money well at the theater. Like it's just a crowd pleasing moment, which is what uh, Barbie is and what Greta Gerwig did. Um, shout out to Greta Gerwig, who showed up at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn when I was at the Alamo Draft House, Manhattan jerk. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, literally in the same time, I was getting texts from a ton of people saying like, oh my God, is Greta, you're showing Greta you're showing and I was like no she's at the one in Brooklyn <laughs> she seems um, very Brooklyn to me yeah Brooklyn no. makes sense for her uh no anyways um so yeah like uh I just think that they hit it for some reason I thought it was going to be the the laugh out loud like crazy comedy of the year and it yeah, wasn't no. I think due to the fact that they there was only so much you could do within the confines of like keeping it pg in a sense for for young people because at the end of the day like young people are going to go because of Barbie. Um, yeah. so that even though sense. I think it is PG 13 though, to be, to be honest with you, I think it is. Yeah. PG-13. But the 13 is like real, like they, they had to yes. like get that in there. It's not a PG 13 movie from my eyes. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's fair. But yeah. Uh, that was really lovely. Um, I'm, I don't know. I have like a complicated view of Oppenheimer, but cinematically I'll speak to this. Like it's, it's a revelation and, and Christopher Nolan absolutely knows how to utilize the people 
that he knows. Um, and, and, um, the use of sound and the use of technology or lack thereof, even because so much of it was practical, if not all of it, I think he didn't use any special effects for like, um, any of the explosive series. So yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating, definitely probably worth a rewatch, but it is, I feel too long for the story they were doing and a lot of unnecessary sexual moments. <laughs> um, but that's just, just me. All right, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and threads at BWW. Matt, Grace, where can people find you? You can follow me at It's Grace Aki on all social media platforms. And don't forget about um, uh, my Sweet Meat show coming up on July 31st at Joe's Pub. It's my first time at Joe's Pub. I'm really excited about it. Please visit Joe's Pub and or any of my social media sites to get a link for tickets to that. Yes, get those tickets. Definitely get those tickets. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful week, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.